<clears throat> so Peter was with Jesus in the early days of his ministries. The scriptures tell us that he was one of the very first disciples to be selected to travel with Jesus. And what that means to us in, and what we see in the scriptures as we read through Peter's story is that, that see, Peter saw so much of the work that Jesus did. He saw the miracles that he performed. He heard the things that he taught and the ways in which he taught. He was, he was there when Jesus was, was taken and arrested and crucified. He experienced, as he talks about in Acts 10, he experienced the presence of the risen Savior. He was with him and shared meals with him. He had this incredible opportunity to interact with him. Peter was incredibly well trained in the practices of the the Jewish faith and of this way of following Jesus that they were talking about and that they were learning more and more about. What we find about Peter over and over again as we read his story is that Peter loved Jesus deeply. And even as we know that, I am so thankful that the Scriptures also give us a clear image of a man who was continuing to learn, who was still growing, who was still figuring out what it meant to be fully surrendered to this way of Jesus, to be fully surrendered to this way of faith and what this meant to follow after Jesus clearly, that that we get to see that Peter was still a man on a journey. We talk a lot about a journey of faith. A journey from knowing nothing about God to being a faithful follower of Jesus. And Peter was still on that journey, still walking forward, which means he had good days and he had bad days. He had days where we get to see and read stories about him learning and growing in his faith in incredible ways. And then he had days where he literally denied even knowing who Jesus was. You think you've had bad days. I mean, we see the the extremes of the ups and the downs in this man's life. Having walked this journey with Jesus and continuing to figure out what it means to walk it after Jesus had ascended and was gone. Peter, with all this experience and all this time with Jesus, would have been well aware of what it meant to follow after Jesus, of of some of the rules and the expectations. And, And Peter would have been present when Jesus was cornered one day, being asked what it was that was the greatest of all of the commandments. He was there when Jesus answered with the most important commandment, saying that the most important commandment was this two-in-one commandment, these, these two expectations that could never be separated from each other. And all four gospel stories give us a version of the explanation of that. They're a little different in each one, but let me read to you what, what Mark says as Mark tells the story of Jesus' response. In, verse, in chapter 12, Mark says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, as we read that, I think that we sometimes get tangled up with some of the order of what's happening and even the usage of the word second. Because when we see the word second, it means to us that there's some kind of leveling or some kind of order in which we're supposed to read them or supposed to understand that they exist in, that, that we're supposed to think, okay, it means love God, and, and then once you get that one figured out, or once you're really good at that one, or once you've spent a lot of time on that one, then get concerned with the idea of what it means to love other people. But I think a better way to understand what Jesus was trying to say is he said, love God. And another way of saying the same thing, love other 
people. It wasn't an order. It wasn't a this, then that. It was a both and all the time, never separated. Love God and love people. And these two things are intimately and always connected. And the focus of Jesus' ministry, the the years that he spent on the earth, was in teaching and showing people what it meant to do this. To live out a life fully focused on loving God and loving other people all of the time at the same time. And in Acts 10, we watch as Peter is still trying to figure out what it means for him to reorient his own life in this way. What it means for him to get his own life focused in a way that that he is a faithful follower of Jesus, loving God and loving people fully all the time as much as he can. And when we find him, we find him in the midst of some some habits or some practices or some spiritual rhythms. We talk about those around here a lot. We've been talking about them the last few weeks. But we find that he's in this space of prayer. He's spending time alone with God, which we talked about last week. We talked about the idea of trying to do that daily. Peter, as a faithful Jewish man and now a follower of Jesus, understood that in their culture, what was the understood practice around that was not just a once a day kind of thing. It wasn't just this quiet time that lasted 10 or 15 or 20 minutes in the beginning of day, but that, that both the Jewish people and these new followers of the way, these people who had become known as Christians, were in this practice of spending several times a day where they would separate themselves and they would spend time alone with Jesus. And people who still do that, a practice that would be great for you and I to explore and to try. Our our goal last time was just once a day, but multiple times is so much better for us. And those who still do that talk about this idea of the daily offices, this, this rhythm of several times a day with Jesus, or praying the hours. A habit, a practice, a rhythm that fosters in us this idea of reorientation that we've been talking about, reorienting our life so that we're fully focused on following after Jesus. And as Peter was in this practice around noon, we're told that he had a vision. A vision that he didn't understand. It didn't make sense because it was encouraging him to do something that that he believed stood in contrast or in contradiction to his understanding of his faith, of his religion, of what it meant for him to follow after God. So we watched this really cool interaction take place between God and Peter, a bit of a conversation and a back and forth. And, And we can't miss that part. That there's this sort of a, of a dialogue, of a questioning, of a pushing back and going, wait a minute, God, is this really what that means? Because that doesn't seem consistent with what I understand over here. And as we talked last week about the idea of spending time with Jesus and we talked about Sabbath, something that I didn't say that I really wish I had because I, I want us to recognize is that we nowhere in the Scriptures get the idea that this interaction thing is supposed to stop. There's no biblical evidence that that a dialogue with God is not still supposed to be part of what we're doing in our personal faith life. That's the primary example that we see in the Scriptures. And yet for many of us, we've changed the idea of what this means and and changed it from the idea that prayer is a, a monologue that we have in us talking to God rather than a conversation that we have with God. And Peter's example and the biblical example always is this idea of a conversation back and forth with God. After this, we watch Peter as he continues to think about this this vision, this this interaction with God that he's had, and and we're told that he was was pondering what he'd seen. He was contemplating. he He was meditating on what he'd experienced with God in this conversation. And then the Holy Spirit told him to do something 
else, something odd, something strange, something that didn't exactly make sense. That He said that three strangers are coming to the house that you're staying in, and, and they're going to invite you to go somewhere with them. And he said, Peter, I want you to go. So Peter did exactly what Christ followers should do when God calls and tells them to go. Peter went. He got up and he went, not sure what was happening or where he was going. It says he waited overnight, and the next morning they went to this man Cornelius' house. They took him to the house of Cornelius, and the story tells us that Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a, a Roman officer, and yet it also says that he was a devout and God-fearing man that was respected by the Jews. And an interesting statement that's put in there, and there's a lot we could talk about with Cornelius. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it. I just want to make sure that all of us understand, even though these really positive things are said about him, we're supposed to grasp, if we were an early reader, if we were a Jewish reader, if we were a new follower of Jesus reading this passage, we would have read about Cornelius, and this would have been the first thing that would have come to mind. Enemy. He is the enemy. Doesn't matter that he was God-fearing. Doesn't matter he was respected by Jews. They respected him as the enemy. Maybe different than other players that were part of the enemy, but he was the enemy. Peter was not supposed to be in his home. Peter was not supposed to eat with him. Peter was not supposed to share his faith for him because his faith was not for the enemies of God. And yet Peter did what the Holy Spirit had called him to do even though it stood in contrast to everything that he understood, to all of his initial red flags, to all of the things that he had learned, that he'd been taught, that he'd learned uh, growing up in the faith and continuing to walk forward in this faith. He stood with the enemy, and as he was with Cornelius, this earlier vision that he'd experienced, this, this trance with this sheet coming down and these animals on it and the command to eat them began to become more and more clear to him, and he saw Cornelius' desire for faith. So Peter told Cornelius about the work of Jesus. And then we're told that Cornelius came to know Jesus and he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter baptized Cornelius and all the others that were with him that had also come to know Jesus. He baptized them as believers. Then and there. <laughs> I really love this story. For a multitude of reasons. But this morning we're going to talk about it being the reality that Peter was living deeply into this two-in-one command that he understood. This was a bold act of love that Peter was trying to show uh, another, the enemy. He was living out his love for God and his love for other people at the same time, striving toward this idea of a full reorientation of his life, of being fully focused on what it meant to completely follow after Jesus. And the reality was when it happened, not everybody was excited about it. We find that out if we read a little further in the story. Some of his friends, some of his colleagues questioned his decisions. They questioned his faith. They weren't sure he'd done what he was supposed to do. And it's important for us to grasp that following Jesus isn't always easy. Hey, Dick, do me, Dick, come here. Do me a favor. People are putting on coats, and I'm even cold up here. Turn the, take that thermostat up just a notch or two. Not too much. I don't want to start sweating up here. <laughs> trying to save on the power bill, it feels like this morning, doesn't it? Jesus was living into this reorientation and what was taking place. Following Jesus is not 
easy. It wasn't for Peter and it isn't for us. And yet we continue this thing that we're doing because of what we've said several times over the last couple of weeks that we believe as Christ followers, or at least we're supposed to believe that life with Jesus here, now, and forevermore is far better than life without Jesus. Last week as we were talking about this, we talked about the idea that we were created to live in relationship with Jesus. We were created for this space of deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. But the scriptures also give us the understanding that we were created to be in relationship with other people. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, we see that this is true. In the very first story, as we read about Adam, we see that that Adam needed there to be another human being who existed as a partner with him. He needed another human to be in relationship with. As we move forward into the scriptures, we see these relationships continuing to happen and intermingle. And then we see God working to create a people, a a set-apart people who are together, who are a body, who are the people of God, the Israelites. We move into the New Testament. We see that as people start coming to faith, once again, there's a gathering of them. There's a bringing them together. The church in the New Testament is the believers, not all running off separate, doing their own little thing, but they're gathered together as the body because we exist to be in relationship with one another. And as the church, we are created to do this thing of faith together. And it's the reason that Jesus understood that all of the commandments couldn't be broken down into just one that they'd read in the ten, but it was always this one that was two, this two-in-one command of loving God and loving people because we were created to be in relationship with God, and we were created to be in relationship with other people. Not this or this Not this and sometimes this, or this and sometimes that, but always both intermingled and interwoven, always interconnected. Love of God, love of others, created to be in relationship with God and with other people. So the question for us this morning is, as we think about that and we think about our relationships, how do we reorient our relationships so that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is center. We are fully focused on following after Jesus in our relationships. And let me say from the very beginning, we will absolutely not exhaust the possibilities or even the relational needs in which we need to be doing this in order to be fully living it out. Can't even get close. Peter had been journeying in this way for ages and still in Acts 10, he's still trying to figure out what it means. Still not sure. Cornelius in, Cornelius out. It's, all, it's through this vision, this experience that he decides that Cornelius can be a part of what God is doing. So we, we can't even barely scratch the surface of how we move towards these relationships fully focused. And we could spend weeks, we could spend months, we could spend years talking about some of the practices of faith that we should be doing to live out what it means for us to fully love other people. Things like providing for the poor and caring for the orphan, protecting the refugee, and giving a voice to the voiceless. There's so many things and ways in which we could talk about this. And we're going to. We want to. We, will conti- we have done so. We will continue to do so. We just can't make it all happen today. But it's our hope, it's my hope, that each of us as followers of Jesus, that all of us as the church continue to become more and more bold in living out these kinds of acts of love towards other people, loving God and loving others by caring for them in bold ways in the days ahead. I want us to grow. We want to get better and better at this. But this morning, I want to go much simpler than this. 
by looking at Peter and Cornelius' story and just identifying two really simple habits that I say was really simple. They're actually not simple at all, but simpler habits that I feel like we could pursue in 2020 in order to work towards this idea of reorienting our relationships. And here's the first. I want to encourage you at least once a week to find a way to put yourself around people who are different from you, especially people who don't share our faith. Intentionally put yourself around people who are different from you, especially people who don't share our faith, at least once a week. Now, some of you are like, oh, I do that all the time. I do that at work. I'm always interacting with people who don't know Jesus. Yeah, but you're not intentionally putting yourself around them for the purpose of building a relationship with them. So it's a little different than just being in the same space as people who don't know Jesus. Intentionally put yourselves there. So go to the gym in order to make friends with people who are different from you. Get involved in a local school in order to become friends with people who don't share the same faith that we do. Take a day at school and have lunch with people who aren't the normal people that you have lunch with. People who think different than you or act different than you or have a different faith than you. You can do the same thing at work. Is that you can decide, I'm around all these people who don't know Jesus all the time, but I'm going to decide that at least once a week, I'm going to invite one or more of them to share lunch with me. I want to be around people. In order for us to reorient our relationships, we have to be around people who are different from us, people who do not share the same faith as us. Now, as we think about reorientation, as we think about this idea of changing the focus of our relationships, I want to make sure that something's really clear. This is not actually for the purpose of converting them or convincing them that somehow I'm right and they're wrong. Or convincing them that somehow my faith is better than theirs or that that they need to experience this kind of transformation. The reason that I'm encouraging us to do this is because we need to learn how to love people who, who aren't like us. We need to learn how to love people who don't think like us. We need to learn how to love people who don't believe the same things that we do. Friends, if we're going to love people the way that Jesus called us to love them, then we have to learn how to love people we don't even like. Like Steelers fans. <laughs> Bob's not in the room. <laughs> we have to learn to love people that we don't even like. We have to learn how to love people that Jesus loves. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus loves absolutely all people. And the only way we ever learn how to love them is if we spend time with them. Because sitting in Christian small groups, which is a great thing to do, we need to continue to do that, but sitting in Christian small groups, sharing bumper sticker quotes like, uh, hate the sin but love the sinner, when the reality is that so few of us actually know any people who don't love Jesus, isn't actually loving anyone who's different from us. We reorient our relationships by getting around people who don't know Jesus, people who are different from us. We learn to love these people by hearing their stories. We learn to love these people by listening to their thoughts and their perspectives, by coming to understand what it is they believe and why they believe what they believe, what it is that they think and why they think what they think. Again, not just so that we can convince them that somehow they're wrong, 
so that we can learn to love people who are different from us. Now, I know there are some of us that immediately hear this and are a little bit concerned because it sounds a little bit dangerous. There are questions. Will it in some way harm our own faith? Will it in somehow uh, uh, bring, bring damage to us and what we're doing? And I'm not sure that I want my kids around somebody that's like that. I'm not sure I want my spouse around somebody that's like that. I'm not sure I want to be around people who don't share the same faith that I do because they might cause me to stumble or something dangerous might happen or there might be some kind of problem. And yes, I have to say, is it dangerous? Maybe. Is it possible that our faith will stumble along the way? Perhaps. But I think the scriptures actually make it really, really clear that we don't have the option to not do this just because we're scared. We don't have the option to not get around people who are different than us and believe different than us just because they're hard. We don't actually get to choose not to love hard people and still claim that we're following Jesus. Everybody heard that part, right? Just say it one more time, huh, Selena? We don't get to choose not to love hard people and still claim that we're following Jesus. Like, that's not actually even an option. It is not possible to follow Jesus and not love hard people. This is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Friends, sometimes I feel like I need to apologize to you because of the ways in which we've made it look like the life of following Jesus is easy. It's it's not. Following Jesus is dangerous. Being a people of faith is scary. It will require of you and of me incredible risks that we never imagined. So habit number one, every week, at least once a week, find a way, make a way, create a way to get around people who aren't like you, people who don't share our faith. All right? Now, I think we complete or we continue this reorientation of our relationships if we partner it with the second habit. As we read Peter and Cornelius' story, we see that, that Peter told Cornelius about his faith. He told him about the work that Jesus had done, and then he invited him to join him. So here's habit number two. Habit number two is that every week, I want to invite you to tell another person about Jesus or your faith or your church. Every week. Every day would be awesome. Awesome. If you feel like you could get there, that's great. But let's start with small, small, small steps, okay? Let's start with little things. Let, let's start with talking about this once a week. Now, immediately, there is the question of, isn't this a contradiction with what you just said, that loving people isn't about converting them, isn't about changing the way they think, isn't about trying to convince them that they're wrong? No. No, it doesn't stand in contradiction because I am still saying to us that it is not the goal to get to know people who are different than us so that we can make them look like us. We get to know people who are different than us because we learn to love them. And yet, as we talk about Jesus and we talk about our faith, it is completely possible that there may be people who also come to know and follow Jesus. The goal is to love people. We love people by hearing their story and by sharing our story with them. 
So if you and I are around people who don't look like us, people who don't believe the same things that we do, people who don't understand our church or our faith or, or, or what we believe about Jesus, if we're around them and we don't tell them that Jesus is the ultimate focus of our life, the, the 100% priority, nothing else comes before that. If we get around people who are different than us and we don't tell them that, then we're lying to them or we're hiding from them, or we're pretending to be something that we're not. It's not loving. We love other people by hearing their story and sharing our story with them. Now, I say that. It's either that we're lying to them or hiding from them, or that we're just not fully surrendered to Jesus. But we're kind of working on the assumption that that's already what we're all pursuing. All right, everybody on the same page with that one, yeah? We're not necessarily there, but that's, that's what we're striving after. So we love other people by inviting them to join us in what we believe is true, that life with Jesus is far better than life without. We're not trying to beat them over the head or force them to come to the same place that we are, but we tell them that we have come to believe this is true, so we've reoriented our entire life towards following after Jesus because we believe that life with Jesus is far better than life without Jesus. And if we believe that that's true, why wouldn't we want to invite other people who we've grown to love to join us in that? We invite other people to come around our church because it's in our church, it's in worship, it's in gathering with small groups, it's, in this, it's among this people of faith that we're coming to learn more about what it means for us to follow after Jesus and be fully committed to Jesus and live this life that we've been called to live. So we want them to come too because it's making a difference in our life. We invite them into our faith because we have experienced new life made possible by the Holy Spirit. And we want the same for them. The goal is not to convert them. The goal is to love them. And we love them whether they agree with us or not. But we also show our love for them by telling them that Jesus has changed our life. And we hope that they experience the same thing. Callie usually reads the sermons before I kind of finalize them. Offer me thoughts and ideas and things that I shouldn't say because they're going to sound worse than I want them to or things that I should add because it'll make it better. And sometimes we end up in these dialogues about what it is that we're trying to say and what it is that we're trying to get across. And we had a really interesting conversation between the two of us about even though we're saying this, and I'm saying that it's, that it's simpler, the reality is this idea of getting around people who don't know Jesus, people who are different than us, intentionally once a week and talking about our faith once a week, it really is hard. It really is scary. We have all kinds of questions about what it looks like and what it doesn't and how we do it. And I want to be clear, I'm not asking that you preach a sermon every week to people in your workplace or at your school I'm not asking that you find some track and share some full kind of plan of salvation thing for how they choose to give their life to Jesus and now follow after Jesus. What I'm encouraging you to do is look for opportunities to talk about your own faith. Sometimes they're going to be really, really small, and sometimes they're going to be much bigger. But look for opportunities to talk about your own faith. Talk about Jesus in your own life. Talk about your church and the ways in which it's making a difference or the ways in which you're connected with it. And I've told you before, if your church is not making a difference in your faith life, then get out of here and go find another church. That's a dangerous thing to say in the seat that I sit in, but I mean it. 
If we're not making a difference in our faith life, then what are we doing? We look for ways to talk about stories that are in the Scriptures, maybe because we're reminded of them or something comes up or there's this little instance in which we go, hey, that makes me think about that story that I read, that that story that I saw on Sunday, or, oh, your, your name is Abraham? There's a story in my Bible about a man named Abraham. And, and you tell these little pieces of how Abraham learned about God's love and how that person makes you think of that. It's a little way that we begin to get to talk about our faith and about Jesus. Maybe you tell a, a story about a time that you spent alone with God that was uplifting for you. There's this multitude of ways in which we can do this and we can make this a part of what we're doing. Weekly, as Cal and I talked about it, in some ways sounds impossible. And we started looking for ways that we could justify that we were doing it when we weren't actually doing it. Like talking to one another about our faith or talking to our kids about Jesus, which we do all the time and you need to do all the time, but that's not really the challenge of what we're talking about here. We want to look for other people who aren't like us, who don't know Jesus, and we want to talk to them about Jesus. And if Jesus really means as much to us as we talk like he does, then why aren't we doing it anyway? The reality is just doing so is an incredibly loving act. Talking about our faith and about Jesus is a way in which we deeply show our love for other people. And we need to do it because we want to love them, because Jesus loves them, and because we believe that Jesus loves us. Man, it's really my hope that in 2020 there is this reorientation that continues to take place for me. And it's why we've been talking about these habits. While we talked about the practice of tithing, and we talked about daily time alone with Jesus, and we talked about a weekly practicing of a Sabbath, and why today I'm challenging you and me, I need to hear this as much or more than you do. I get paid to spend most of my time around church people. How do I get around people that don't know Jesus and talk to them about my faith and talk to them about our church? We need to wrap up, but there was a poem that I heard quoted over the last week or two as we were in this series, and it seemed so significant to what we're doing. It was a, uh, Ruth Haley Barton read it, and it's a, a short, really short poem that's written by a lady named Mary Oliver. And it says this, it's on the screen. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. The reality is this is what we're talking about. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Pay attention. Create opportunities for you and I to experience the presence of Christ, to experience what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, to be transformed. And then tell other people what Jesus is doing in your life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the chance to come together and to worship together. We ask that even now as we come back to singing some songs of worship together that we could recognize your presence, that we would pay attention, that we would be astonished, and that even through our singing of songs of worship together, that we'd have the opportunity to tell about what Jesus is doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.